What's up, everyone? I'm Brady Morgan, and I'm the host of the Budget Trek Podcast. If you haven't already, head over to Apple Podcasts, hit that subscribe button, and review and rate the podcast. That would be very much appreciated. Before we dive in, I want to talk about our sponsor. SocialX is a community of entrepreneurs working together to make a positive impact on the world, scale their businesses, make more money, and build their networks with like-minded individuals. They teach entrepreneurs how to go from zero to six figures through weekly mastermind calls featuring top business leaders, online courses, and amazing events all over the country. If you're interested in learning more about SocialX, go to socialxevents.com and tell them you came from the Budget Trek podcast. Now, on to the show. What's going on, everybody? My name is Brady Morgan. I am the host of the Budget Trek podcast, and I have a really special guest for today's episode. His name is Marcos Ladic. He is the creator of Whiteboard Finance, where he goes over personal finance, stock market investing, and real estate investing, and he has 300,000 subscribers on YouTube. Marco, what's going on, man? How you doing, Brady? Thanks for having me, buddy. Yeah, thanks for coming on, man. So before we dive in, I like to give a little background into what Budget Truck actually is for the newer listeners. It started as an accountability measure for me and my wife to get out of debt, reach our own version of financial freedom, and I was documenting my struggles and my successes along that journey. But then I realized, okay, if I implement an interview component, I can hear about other people's struggles and successes, and maybe my listeners can apply those to their own life. But before we get into how your story, how what you do now plays into the foundation of Budget Trek, I always ask this preliminary question, what is the dumbest purchase you have ever made? <laughs> okay, which one? Let's see here. So <laughs> I, uh, when I graduated college, uh, I actually had a 2001 Audi S8. So this was like the big boy, you know, it was nice. It was old school, had a cell phone in the middle, like with the wire on it. <laughs> so I'm talking like super old school. This is about 10 years ago. And I ended up buying these nice uh, 20 inch wheels, these 20 inch rims on it, you know, nice German wheels, you know, they look super nice. And then you take a step back and think to yourself, like, why did I just buy those rims? <laughs> so that's definitely my dumbest purchase. They look sweet. You know, I sold the car, ended up actually making a little bit of money on the car. So it wasn't a completely stupid purchase. But at the end of the day, it was just for vanity. And I kind of grew up after that. I think I was like 21, 22 at the time. Yeah. So. See, I'm only 23. So impulse purchases used to be a thing, not so much since I started the podcast. But I think those are the worst ones when right when you buy it, you're like, Damn it. <laughs> I looked at I looked at my credit card balance. I'm like, you're an idiot. You're so stupid. <laughs> yeah, those are always the worst. But yeah, man, let's go ahead and get dived into the episode. I really want to give you an opportunity to talk about you and your journey because you are a full-time YouTuber, video creator, talking about personal finance, stock market investing, real estate investing. So kind of give me the story of Marcos Laddick from day one to today. Yeah, for sure, man. So I just always had that entrepreneurial spirit. Um, in middle school, I was, this may be a little bit before your time, but we had things like Napster and Kazaa and, you know, MP3s were like brand new. Uh, so I was always like downloading mixtapes, putting together like early releases of CDs, like the Eminem show and Slim Shady LP and all that. <laughs> and I was actually selling them as mixtapes at lunch. And I used to sell like Pokemon cards. I used to flip those. So I always had that entrepreneurial spirit and I was always uh, interested in like money, but not from like a greedy, weird kind of a way, like money hungry. It was always just more about like, hey, how can I think outside the box to just make this money? Money to me is kind of like freedom units. It's just options. That's all it is. You know, money, you know, who knows what it is. It's made up at this point in fiat currency, but um, to me, it was just options. So that eventually evolved into uh, having a passion for the stock market. 
And that started at 17, 18 years old. In 2006, I was 18. Uh, basically started my first Trade King account. So for all the young bucks, they don't know what Trade King is. I believe it is uh, Schwab now. Uh, so ultimately, uh, Schwab bought Trade King. This was back when you had to submit like a physical picture of your ID, your oh birth certificate, you know, passport or whatever, mail it out, connect your bank account. It took like a two, three week process and trades were like, you know, five, six bucks a trade. Um, so ever since then, uh, when went into college, studied finance, I had my bachelor's in finance and that ultimately evolved into a passion project of whiteboard finance. So that was kind of my side hustle. Um, I always wanted to be a financial advisor. I graduated in December of 2010 with a finance degree. That was possibly the worst time ever to graduate. Unemployment was at 10%. It was just, it was crazy, man. No one was hiring anywhere. So ended up selling cars, ended up working for a startup company, ended up um, working in commercial real estate, ended up working in finance, capital markets, commercial lending. But I never scratched that itch of being a financial advisor, of teaching people financial literacy and how to build their wealth. Uh, so ultimately, you know, I bought this nice camera like two or three Christmases ago, thought I was gonna be taking pictures of my wife in the parks and you know, birds <laughs> and all that stuff. That thing just sat there and collected dust, man. So I ultimately just said, look, dude, you got to use this camera. You just spent like a thousand bucks on this thing. You got to use it. You got to start using it for videos. So I went on Craigslist, bought a big whiteboard. Um, my brother-in-law picked it up with me. We had to actually hold down the top of his, <laughs> on the roof of his car because it was too big. It wouldn't fit. <laughs> and uh, ultimately, that's how whiteboard finance started, man. It was just a side hustle that grew into a full-time business. So whiteboard finance started two or three years ago? Uh, November of 17. And since then, it's blown up. So yes, at what point when you were pushing out content, because I know too, when you start pushing out content, it's really slow at first. No one knows who you are. And it's just a grind of, I'm putting a lot of effort into it with virtually no return. Correct. At what point were you like, man, this is actually becoming something? Yeah. So uh, fast forward, actually, so I started November of 17. In December of 17, I came out with a video called Top 3 Cannabis Stocks for 2018, going into the 2018 year. And that video actually kind of blew up, man. It got to about 100,000 views and I couldn't believe it. It was crazy. But the other videos, you're 100% correct. It is a grind. You're putting in, you know, five, six, seven, eight hours of video. You're not getting any views. You're kind of thinking to yourself, why am I even doing this in the first place? Right. But to answer your question, I started to make some real money in uh, early 19. So April of 2019, I had a video go viral. Uh, and ever since then, it's been a full-time income. So were you, when you started Whiteboard Finance, I'm assuming you still had a job. Correct. Always had a job throughout the whole process. So I want to hear the story too. When you quit that job, what was the reaction when you said, I'm going to go be a YouTuber? Well, me, first of all, I was crapping myself. So I'm not going to curse on your podcast, but you know, I was, you know, crapping myself, <laughs> but the other word for it, um, just because, you know, I got, you go viral, you're making money off ad revenue. You're not really making money off d different things like affiliate marketing, digital course sales, training, consulting, all that stuff. So I had pretty much like one stream of revenue. So that video blew up in April. It's how car dealerships rip you off. If you want to go check it out, it has about 7 million views at this point. Um, started making good money and I purposely waited three months just to see if that money would keep coming in. And I put in my two weeks in June of 19 and went full time on July 1st. However, to play into the whole point of your podcast, the only reason I quit my steady full-time W-2 job at a, a publicly traded bank here in Cleveland was because my wife and I had zero debt, 0.00. .00. We had mm -hmm. no debt. 
She's a full-time nurse. She has health care for both of us. Um, if we had some, you know, huge mortgage, huge car payments, huge credit card bills, um, I would have never quit um, my job at the bank in a million years. Yeah, I think that's really good to hear for a lot of people out there because I'm sure you see it too. Social media portrays this. Take the leap. <laughs> Doesn't matter where you're at in your life financially, just take the leap. And for some people that works, but for the other 99.99%, it doesn't. Yeah. And you end up in a hole. But so you, no debt. I think that's really key there too. What about savings? Did you have any stuff saved up just in case it just doesn't go well? For sure. For sure. So I'm a big believer in the three to six month emergency fund. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if you don't have kids, if it's just you and your wife and you're younger and healthy, kind of like how you and your wife are, um, you know, three months is fine. If you have kids in the picture, you know, six months is something more realistic, you know, because you're providing for other mouths, you got other mouths to feed. So my wife and I, we don't have any kids yet, you know, knock on wood, hopefully we will here pretty soon. Um, but ultimately, it was just me and her, she has a full time W2 job. You know, we had uh, about six months of savings in the bank and zero debt. And I also, another thing to all the aspiring entrepreneurs on your channel or on your podcast, make sure that you prove out the business model first before you quit your um, stream of income. Right. Because that, that stream of income, it's going to help you with a lot of different things and it's going to alleviate the pressure of having to, um, you know, make the next big video, you know, get the next paycheck because when you're doing that, it comes across. Um, you know, if you're in sales and you haven't made a sale in a couple months, your customers start to feel that like, oh man, Brady's really hungry. I don't know if he has my best intentions. You know, he's just trying to make a sale right. and that genuinely comes across. So you got to have that safety net because it'll alleviate the pressure of the situation. I want to, I want to clear the air too, because I think, well, in my opinion, when people say safety net, the way I divide it is fixed expenses and variable expenses, just to make it super simple. Fixed expenses, of course, are your monthly bills, but then variable is like your actual budget, you know, gas, groceries, miscellaneous, dining out, whatever. Yep. My perception is that when you're saving up three to six months, you need to have three to six months of your fixed and your variable Correct. because you still have to eat. You still have to get gas in your car. You still have to do all these things. So have you seen that where, because I, I feel like the whole Dave Ramsey route is just you know, save six months of your mortgage and your electricity. But I just think that's not enough, you know? No, no. When my wife and I were doing, when we do our savings calculation, we calculate like what we spend on a monthly basis, period. Obviously, it fluctuates sometimes during right. the holidays, it's higher. Sometimes during vacation months, it's higher. But you take an average and say you spend whatever, I'm just throwing out easy numbers, three grand a month or four grand a month. You know, you should have four times three to six. So, you know, 12 grand to 24 grand saved up. Because just because you don't have a job doesn't mean that you don't have to eat anymore. Exactly. Right? <laughs> so you still have to live, man. So you just got to take your net income and you got to take what your expenses really are. And that's how you figure out that number. Yeah, I, I think that's a, con it shouldn't be a confusing topic, but it is. No. And my advice always to people out there too is, you know, three to six months does sound kind of intimidating to people because saving up three to six months of expenses might take years. So what's your advice for people who are like, I, I can't save up that much that quickly, but I really want to take this leap to pursue what I'm passionate about? Yeah, that's a great question, Brady. So um, a, big, a big thing that differentiates me from a Dave Ramsey, Dave Ramsey is all about defense. I'm slightly more in the middle, actually probably leaning more towards offense. Um, so you guys, you have guys talking about 20 cent iced coffees and avocado toast and, you know, oh, skip the $3 latte. 
at the end of the day, that's not going to move the needle, period. Okay. You can skip out a thousand $3 lattes and what would you save? Three grand? Wow. What's that? Uh, a mortgage for one month? Right. Okay. <laughs> I'm talking like uh, you need to increase your income period, whether that's through education, whether it's through hustling, whether it's through uh, creating a side hustle and working a second job or whatever, your income is your biggest uh, determinant of wealth, not how many lattes you skipped. So I know it's a part of it. I know I'm coming off kind of like facetious, but I'm serious about that. Like, you know, you need to be able to still live an enjoyable life. That's why you got to get your income up. You know, I have some people that, you know, leave comments on my YouTube, uh, leave comments on my YouTube channel saying like, oh, you know, why don't you talk about minimum wage and this and that? Well, minimum wage, although it is important, that's just a stepping stone. Minimum wage is for low-skilled work or teenagers trying to get off their feet, you know, something like that, or an internship, for example. You got to get to the next level of increasing your income, however that may be. And we live in the United States. There's a million ways of increasing your income. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. When me and my wife actually started uh, our debt journey, I was working a second job. I was serving at nights and on the weekends, but it's what had to be done. And for people that complain, it does come off as harsh, especially in you know today's <laughs> age and whatnot, but get a second job. I mean, put yourself in uncomfortable situations if you really want to pursue what you're passionate about. And I, I released a podcast episode, I think it was last week, and it was uh, Simple Steps to Build Wealth or, or an Effective Way to Pay Down Debt Aggressively. That's what it was. Mm-hmm. And one of those steps was get a second job. And it sounds like there's no correlation, but there is. 100%. You really need to focus on increasing your income. Yes, you can decrease your expenses, but I believe only so much. You're going to hit a wall at some point. Of course. But yeah, once income, get, it's exponential. Yeah, sorry to interrupt. Uh, once you get down to the bare necessities, I mean, you, what are you going to do? You know, eat ramen noodles and, you know, turn off the lights while you're at home just to save 10 cents? Like, that doesn't make sense. Exactly. So, when I, when I was your age, I sound old when I say that. <laughs> when I was in my <laughs> early 20s, I was working my corporate gig and I was bartending on the weekends. And when I didn't bartend on the weekends, I drove valet. I worked valet, man. And that was all under the table. I mean, I paid my taxes on it. I don't know if this is a video podcast. I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm giving you, you a nudge. You claimed nudge. what you claimed. Exactly. Um, you know, you got you to get creative, man. I tracked all that stuff in an Excel spreadsheet and I was averaging, you know, 18, 19, 20 bucks an hour bartending and valet, man. That's serious income when you add it up plus a corporate salary. Yeah. And I think it's, uh, it's kind of a different segue to a conversation, but people talk about how billionaires like a Jeff Bezos, Bill Gates, they don't deserve their wealth. No one should have that much wealth. I personally disagree with that because the market determines how much value you have and what they brought to the table is valuable. So they're going to be worth that. I also believe that you got to think about their work ethic. They're working 18, 19, 20 hours a day and then you've got other people who work two hours a weekend and are tired. <laughs> <You know? laughs> That's so, so true, man. It, it kind of comes back to this whole thing. If you really want to pursue what you're passionate about, just put in the work, put in the hours because hard work is uh, rewarded. But of course, you have to put that hard work towards something that's actually going to bring value to somebody else. 100%. Man. I couldn't agree with you more. So I got a quick little story for your audience. So my parents, they're Eastern European immigrants. My wife's parents are Eastern European immigrants. We were both born here. Uh, but we look at what their grandparents did, what my grandparents did, what my parents did. Her parents were both nurses, you know, working night shifts, you know, kind of like how your wife is. My wife's a nurse, you know, she's studying to better herself to become a nurse practitioner to increase her income. Her grandpa worked at Ford. So we're from Cleveland, old school, you know, blue collar city. 
worked at Ford seven days a week, put two kids through dental school, put the mom, my mother-in-law, through uh, nursing school, and now it's all uh, coming back generations later. So in one generation, you can go from not speaking English and having zero dollars to living in a decent suburb, having college education, and my wife's even getting a master's degree. That's all in 35 years, man. You really can change your family tree by how hard you work, for sure. Yeah, there's uh, when they talk about you know the Carnegies, the Vanderbilts, uh, the Gates now, the Bezos, they weren't known before they did what they did. So like for you, you can be the first Zlatic for that chain. I can be the first Morgan for my chain. Yep. And you just have to have that mindset too. I think personal finance is very, very important. But I think you also have to couple that with a healthy mindset and a driven mindset because you can, you know, pay down your debt and all this all day long. But if you really want to reach that next pinnacle of success, you have to have that drive and that mindset that I'm going to dominate whatever area I'm in and I'm going to do whatever it takes to get to that next level. Yep, I completely agree. Um, I know this is your podcast, but I got to ask you this because I have, uh, you know, I have a, I ask this to all my close friends. Do you feel that professional athletes are overpaid? I don't. And I'll tell you why. Well, okay. I'm a sports fan. Uh, I'm a Titans fan. Some of those players I think are overpaid because they suck. Sometimes. <laughs> That's different. But I, but I don't think so because you have to think about, they make a ton of money their life is literally physically exhausting their body. And as a result, they probably not going to live as long. So you know, got that and they got risk of injury and all that. But you got to think about how much money they're making the networks their games are on. They're making their actual team. They're making uh, like in, in merch sales, stuff like that. Exactly. So I don't believe they're paid too much. I think the market really determines the value. And if you got a quarterback that's worth $20 million or $30 million a year, then of course they understand that he's worth that much more than I do. I'm I really just a fan at this point. 100% agree with you. And that's what a lot of people, they're like, no, you know, LeBron is making X and, you know, Kobe, rest in peace, is making X and all that stuff. When you consider exactly what you just said, how much value you're bringing to the arena, um, literally from all the bars around you are profiting, all the merchandise, the parking lots, the whole economy, you're driving that whole economy with, you know, your, your skill that very little people have. Um, that's all it is. The market determines your value. So I'm glad we're on the same page with that. Well, I also think too, and this is kind of just an opinion, maybe a hot take, but a lot of these players that grow up to be superstars, I think it would be really, it would deter them to chase that dream if they knew they weren't going to make millions of dollars. I really do think that the idea of making millions of dollars in a sport influences them to work harder. If they're already good and they're being told, Hey, you're going to get this Nike deal worth X amount of money. Adidas deal worth X amount of money, it pushes them to keep going. Think about if you were going to watch LeBron play. You pay, I don't know, $100 for a ticket, but he's only making $50,000 a year. He's going to be pissed. So why <laughs> would he work hard and try to show off if he's not making the money that would influence him to do so? Completely agree. Yep, I agree. I think they have a very limited skill set. I mean, if you look at, um, I don't want to talk on this too much and you can obviously edit this or whatever you want to do no, we're but good, we're good. Um, cool. I like this. <laughs> yeah I just think man like if you're a top sales rep you need to be compensated as such why would you want to get paid as the lowest sales rep they're bringing in x amount of revenue so they should get a percentage of that revenue for sure yeah I, I definitely agree to, with that because I think it, it a lot of it comes back to motivation I mean think about these sales companies that cap commission 
I mean, if you hit your commission in the first week, why, what incentive do I have to keep working? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know? So I, I just think people have this mindset and I really do think it's kind of like a, uh, yeah, entitlement. everyone deserves the same amount of pay, the same amount of money, but it doesn't matter how much work you put in. I just want as much as you have. I mean, think about it. You, you have grown this YouTube channel to 300,000 subscribers, but I deserve a portion of that money because that's only fair. Yeah. That doesn't make any sense. You know, it doesn't. And that's why I think that uh, in the United States, there's still opportunity. I know this sounds super corny, especially in 2020, but I think that <laughs> in this day and age, there's still no better place on earth, even with the internet and you know other countries becoming very you know progressive and things like that. But I still think that the United States is still the best place to make money if you come from nothing. You don't have oh, yeah. to be a rich kid or a wealthy kid if you really you know set your mind to something. I, I do think it is harder than it used to be because I find that the uh, social media and the internet is really saturated. Yep. How many people do you see that are doing drop shipping that are <laughs> doing wholesale real estate or e-com, whatever? Everybody's doing it, but you got to think about how can I stand out? And if you are really passionate about that, are you willing to put the work in to stand out above them? And that's where social media comes into play. I think people they start these projects, but they're not passion projects. They see Bobby over here making a million dollars doing e-commerce. Well, I'm going to do it too because I want to make a million dollars. But you don't understand how many hours he's put into perfecting that craft. And there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes that you probably don't want to do. And if you're not passionate about it, you're not going to follow through with it. And then you're thousands of dollars in the hole because you invested in yourself and you hate it. You know? Yep. 100%. Uh, when I go on these podcasts and people ask me, you know, how it was, you know, transitioning full time and et cetera, et cetera. And everyone wants to be on YouTube now, right? I went to the zoo with a GoPro with my wife and all these little kids came up to me and said, are you a YouTuber? Like they didn't know I was, <laughs> but I'm just like, no, you know, I'm just recording the animals. Everyone wants to be on YouTube. However, 99% don't succeed because they don't treat it as a passion project. Like you said, because when you're putting in all those hours and you're not seeing the results that you want to see, you're going to quit. If you're doing mm -hmm. it just for the money, if you're not doing it for the money and you truly care about helping people with their financial literacy or with this yep. podcast, you're going to keep doing it no matter how many listens or downloads you get or views. Yeah. I mean, this podcast, for example, it was so slow. I mean, I, I would put an episode out and it would get like five listens. And I'm <laughs> like, well, shit, like, why am I doing this? But I kept pushing forward and it does pay off. And I think it, you just, I, I really do think there's a, there's something with the internet that's saying, okay, if you push past this amount of time, this much work, then we'll actually show your stuff to what people want to see, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. The YouTube but, algorithm works like that, man. If you're consistent, they reward consistency for sure. Yeah. They, they want to weed out the hobbyists from the professionals. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's key there, but I, I really do want to transition real quick because yeah, <laughs> no, no, you're good. But I want to, I want to ask this question. So being with in the personal finance realm, I know you talk about personal finance, real estate investing, stock market investing. What is your favorite thing to teach about and why? Yeah, that's a great question, man. So the foundation, uh, so I think of everything as like a pyramid. So you have to have a strong base, like you're building a skyscraper or a pyramid and you have the middle, then you have the top. So my favorite thing to teach is financial literacy because you need to be financially literate. So if I was not financially literate and I won the lottery tomorrow, I'm probably going to be broke in a couple of years, right? right? But if you build from a strong foundation, 
I could be Jeff Bezos with billions and still not, you know, overdose on drugs or, you know what I mean? Or turn into some like, (laughs) you know, F up for lack of a better term. Sorry, I don't want to curse. But, um, you know, a lot of people, they don't start with that foundation. So when they start making like, you know, new money, whether they get a sales role and they start crushing it, making like two, 300 grand a year or selling mortgages or doing whatever, they blow that money because they never had that strong foundation. Um, say, for example, you, you and your wife are going through this journey, you get to $0 in debt, and then you start making money in a sales job. Well, you're probably going to be a lot more financially responsible than another 23-year-old who always had everything in life and never had mm-hmm. to worry about debt or money management. So to answer your question, it's definitely the bottom of the pyramid is financial literacy, personal finance, knowing what to do with your money. And then the second is definitely how to invest. And then I'd say the third is getting into more creative stuff like real estate or more high level stuff, if you will. Do you run into a lot of people who believe that focusing on making money first is the most important? And yes, making money is very important, but I always say you can make a million dollars a year, but if you spend a million dollars a year, you're still broke. hundred percent. Do you run into people a lot where they're making a ton of money, but they have no idea how to manage it? Yeah, of course, man. Uh, I live in Cleveland, man. I used to sell cars to Browns players. I would see checks in their glove boxes, like game checks, like physical yeah. checks. Um, yeah, if you, if you, so look at it from that, from that perspective. If you're from like the hood and you have, you know, a bunch of cousins mooching off you, I'm just being real. Well, I don't know how this comes off, but I couldn't care less. Yeah, no, I'm born, no, be real. I'm born be real. and raised in Cleveland, Ohio, dude. I, I don't care. I'm just speaking the truth. <laughs> if you're from the hood, if you're from East Cleveland, you come up and you finally make it to the league. You got 20 cousins mooching off you who never learned about finances or you never learned about finances. How many times do you hear about professional ballplayers going broke after they leave the league? Well, there's actually a stat, a stat on that. I did a, a finance behind sports NFL edition and it's, uh, I think it's 16% of all NFL players go file for bankruptcy within 12 years. I believe that. I think that number uh, uh, recently has declined because now they give them financial advisors. They yep, they yep. up money. Um, so when you hear these stories about, oh, this running back saves 99% of his income. Like, wow, congratulations. If I made $3 million a year, I could yeah. save 99% too. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's like old school when the league didn't even care before like personal financial advisors and wealth management and stuff. All these dudes, man, they would go to, you know, literally selling drugs. They would just go yeah. down that road. But um, my, I digress. My whole, my whole point is, is that I like teaching people the foundation because once you learn to start making money, you know, if you have that foundation, you're always going to be content. Mm-hmm. I think that once you go down that rabbit hole of social media, of Lamborghinis, Ferraris, McMansions, and this and that, and yachts, that's when you're never satiated. Your appetite's never satiated. You're always hungry which is fine, but that's not the best way to live life, in my opinion. I think everything in moderation, you work hard and you reward yourself. You work hard, reward yourself, but there has to be some sort of uh, element of being content at some point. I think it's key for people to know too that managing your money and being content with managing your money and not spending it, it does take time. I think if people get so used to the consumer mentality, they make money, they're going to spend it. Make money, spend it. When you start to save that money, it's not going to be comfortable for you. It's probably going to burn a hole in your pocket just sitting there, <laughs> but you have to just stick with it. And I don't, I think it's 21 days to build a habit. I, I think that's false. I think it's whatever, whatever it takes for you to build a habit, just do it. Yeah. And just stick to it. And like you said, that that's the foundation is just know how to manage your money properly. Know what it means. Know what personal finance is because I know nowadays people in schools don't really learn it. I mean, schools say they teach you, but 
when I was in high school, it was the Dave Ramsey material. Yeah. And that's really outdated. I mean, a thousand dollars emergency fund. Come on. Yeah, I think that it's a it's a good foundation. It was better than what I got. We got like balancing your checkbook. Yeah, okay, that's yeah. how old I am. <laughs> but that was like 2003 or something. Uh, but ultimately, I think that you're 100% right, man. I think that at the end of the day, it really does matter, you know, how much you keep. But, you know, I'm always often a little bit offense first, but you got to be content at some point just because if you're never content, you're always going to want the next shiny thing. And you're right. We, we're bombarded every day with ads and social media and we're a very consumeristic society, um, which we need to learn to uh, appreciate the smaller things in life, I think. But don't get me wrong. I'm a car guy. I like my cars, but yeah. um, I'm not blowing, you know, 50 grand on cars. I'm buying nice used cars and I'm happy with them. You know what I'm exactly. saying? Exactly. And I actually had to, uh, I had to kind of do a little social media detox a few weeks ago. I was nice. following all these people that either they were rich or they were portraying <laughs> that they were rich and they're posting all this stuff. And like, not that I care, but I think as human beings, we have this inherent ability to get jealous of things, whether we're vocal about it or not. I'm just like, shit, man, I want that. I wish I had that. Why is this not blowing up the way it should? You know, stuff like that. So how do unfollow? It's like, it's not healthy. You know, no. everyone has a different journey in life. And I like what you're doing because you're teaching people whatever your journey is, it's your journey, but make the most of it and be smart with it. And you will be financially free if you just trust yourself and follow whiteboard finance. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I wouldn't go that far, but it, it does help. Uh, no, I mean, I appreciate the shout out, but uh, yeah, man, that social detox is very important, especially for a younger person. Like, so I'm 32. I grew up without the internet and with the internet. Okay. Mm -hmm. It happened right at like 16 years old, like right in the middle of my life. I got a cell phone. It was like the Motorola flip phone where you yeah. can like brick breaker on it. <laughs> I don't even know if you guys know what brick breaker is, but, uh, you were the like, real deal then though. If you had the flip phone, you could hang up on people by bro, slamming it shut. It shut. <laughs> yeah, dude. And texting costed five cents a text or 10 yeah. cents a text. It was crazy, bro. But anyway, I was working at TGI Fridays. I was like 17 years old. I was a bus boy. And uh, that's when technology really started to take over, man. You see mm -hmm. people starting to text more and they started looking at their phone instead of interacting with one another. And I feel like ever since then, man, you got all these charlatans and snake oil salesmen like, oh, I'm here in my garage with this knowledge and my books <laughs> and stuff. And those people are geniuses, but you said it best, man. A lot of those people are just fakers, man, because mm -hmm. perception is reality, man. If you perceive that I'm some bajillionaire, you know, that's reality. But really, I'm just renting the house off Zillow to shoot this yeah. video to make it look like I'm a millionaire. So exactly, exactly. I, I was telling my wife because we live with her parents still for free, which anyone out there listening, if you have an opportunity to live for free, do it. Because <laughs> it gives you opportunity to save money, pay down debt, whatever. Yep. But they live in a nice house, a really nice house. And uh, my mother in law just got a new BMW, kind of like an SUV looking car. And I was like, all I would have to do is post that car up in front of the house, take a picture in front of it, post it on Instagram and say <laughs> hard work pays off and people would be flocking to me trying to figure out what I did. Yeah. But that's not me. That's not my, that's not my personality. And I want to be genuine. And I think people just, they see other people being ingenuine. So they want to follow that path. Yeah. And I don't like that. But I, I can't dictate what people post. I can just unfollow, I guess. <laughs> yeah, you got to use your brain, man. You're 100% right. Like if you sell your, your soul is priceless, man. If you go down that road of being a snake oil salesman and, mm -hmm. you know, trying to say like, oh, this is how I made my money on YouTube. Just pay me three easy payments of nine ninety seven, and I'll get you my master group. You yeah. know, it's, it's so easy, dude. Like I can make a lot more money if I wanted to. But at the end of the day, you know, I don't know what your demographic is, but I'm Orthodox Christian, man. I mean, I'm old school, yeah. like. I have certain, I'm not 
holier than thou. Like, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that whatsoever. <laughs> I'm just saying like, you have to have some sort of standard and your soul yep. is worth a lot more than just making an extra, you know, 50, 60 grand a year from exactly some courses or whatever. So from people who have no clue what they're even buying into too. That too. And they're usually in desperate situations too, which is the saddest part. Yeah. And I think, you know, our niche personal finance, is kind of hard to put prices on what you're selling because you're like, hey, I want you to be better with your money, but spend your money on me so that I can teach you how to be better with your money. It's kind of like, okay, what's the catch here? Yeah, it's like a catch 22. Like, yeah. what's going on here? If you, if you give up genuine value and you're helping exactly, people, yeah. sure. But like, people know who the scammers are. And there's actually a couple of channels on YouTube that I follow that just call these people out. Oh, and, yeah, dude. Yeah, they're getting sued left and right, but it's worth it because it's funny. But uh, I digress. So I want to, I want to ask this question too, since you're uh, more in the space than I am, what piece of technology, software, platform, whatever, would you like to see personal finance related? So is there anything out there that you're like, man, this would be really cool if they had it, but they don't yet? Yeah. So, um, I'm kind of not answering the question 100%, but I genuinely like, um, the envelope system. But, uh, th and there is a company that does it, I can't remember what their name is, but they, they created this debit card that essentially mimics an envelope system. So if you and your viewers are familiar with the envelope system where you have mm -hmm. certain categories, you put the cash in it, when the cash is yep. gone, you can't spend it anymore. Uh, it's basically like a, I believe it's a debit card that has categories and whatever your purchases fall into, you know, it just takes it out of that digital envelope. It's yep. kind of like taking an old school uh, idea and turning it into a new age technology. Um, so that is, I think it's out there. So I'm not really answering your question, but if I had to pick something that doesn't exist, I think it would be something that kind of just, um, almost like a, uh, if you're familiar with like uh, gum for like nicotine addiction or yep. like a patch or something. So when you're about to buy something stupid, <laughs> it just kind of like, patch. <laughs> yeah, it just, yeah. Impulse purchase patch. Exactly. So that's <laughs> patented. Don't take that. Yeah. Don't feel that. <laughs> I've cut this part out. <laughs> yeah. It just like zaps you or something to where you have to wait, or maybe it like locks you out for like seven minutes. And then you say like, okay, do I really need to buy this? Or do I really need this cigarette? Yeah. Or, you know, that kind of a thing. I think it'd be cool too if debit cards, credit cards, whatever had a component where if a purchase was over a set amount, you had to actually swipe or insert your card twice. So you actually think about it. You insert it once, says approved, it's like, do it again. And you're like, okay, <laughs> you're right. <laughs> I don't want to yes. do this. That's a great idea. Yeah, I think uh, payments have become too, too uh, easy. Yeah, too easy, too frictionless, mm -hmm. you know, to where you don't even think about it, man. It's a convenience, but it's also a double-edged sword. What's your stance too on people who do use credit cards for everyday purchases? Because I do, but yeah. I'm diligent with actually paying it off. But I know when I'm talking to my, my audience about, you know, using credit cards, I say, if you have credit card debt, do not use a credit card for everyday purchases because it doesn't make sense at that point. That's right. So I have a video called why Dave Ramsey is wrong about credit cards. Um, so basically there's a statistic that says 55% of Americans don't pay their balance off every month. 45% do. Um, I've been using credit cards literally since college. So I'd say 18 years old. I've paid approximately 0. 0.000 uh, cents or dollars in interest. I've never yeah. spent I've never paid any interest in my life. So I feel like if you're responsible and you know what your budget is, maybe in your brain or if you use a spreadsheet or whatever, 
Um, you know, you should use your credit card on everyday purchases that you're going to do anyway, because you're just racking up points at that point. Um, and I use it for everything because at the end of the year, I actually go into the data and look at what I spent my money on. Mm. And that way you actually have 100% tangible data. You can't really do that with cash unless you're tracking it every single you know, transaction, which a lot of us, it gets annoying. A lot of us don't have the discipline to do it. Um, so I like using my credit card. Yeah, I, uh, I, I agree with that 100%. I remember Dave Ramsey posted something where, cause he hates credit cards, cut them up, whatever. And yep. he said, it doesn't matter if you pay your credit card on time every month, you're still paying interest. And I was like, I don't, I don't agree with that. I don't believe that because you can't avoid interest on credit cards. Of course, but, yeah, that's not true. But credit card companies don't expect you to pay off your balance in full. They don't want you to. Exactly. Uh, and I must, I must uh, there's a caveat to my statement. As long as you're not buying excessive stuff that you wouldn't have bought with cash anyway. Mm-hmm. So if you're doing like gas, you know, auto insurance, exactly. all that stuff, that's fine. But if you're going out buying like a $1,600 grill and new computers and all that yeah. stuff, that's different. But if you're still, because the statistic that Dave uses is that, Oh, studies have been shown that if you use a credit card, you're going to spend, you know, X percent more, 20% more, whatever, which I'm sure is true because of impulse purchases and all that. Mm -hmm. But if you have everything under check and you're not going crazy with it, I use my credit card for everything. If you are making a big purchase, what's your rule of thumb with, with, uh, how much cash you should actually have in congruency with what the purchase you're actually making is? Always have the cash period. Old school, Eastern European, dude. If you don't have the money for it in the bank, you can't afford it. Yeah. I Unless I mean, yes, there's some situations with 0% financing, but at the end of the day, you're just robbing Peter to pay Paul. You're, you're robbing from your future self to pay for this today. Yeah. Um, so if you don't have cash in the bank, I don't buy it. Well, let's take a step further then. If you were going to make an investment, you know, whether that's real estate, stock market, whatever, and you didn't have the cash to make that investment, but you had the available credit to do it, would you make that purchase knowing that the return you're going to make will be able to pay that balance off? however many years or months down the road. Yeah, absolutely. So that's another, this is, these are the only two topics that I really disagree with Dave Ramsey on is the credit card and also buying real estate or uh, investments with leverage. Mm-hmm. Um, so say for example, uh, you have a house, it costs a hundred grand. Uh, it's in perfect condition. It's ready to be purchased. You know, you can rent it out for 1200 bucks a month or whatever. Um, if you did all your math, you went through the property taxes, insurance, you know, uh, upkeep, maintenance, all mm-hmm. that stuff, landscaping. Uh, you know that you're going to cash flow a couple hundred bucks a month and you know that that includes vacancy, it includes emergencies, it includes everything under the sun uh, and you can uh, pay 20 grand for that property, put 20% down. Why wouldn't you? Why would you lock up the equity in the walls, okay, by buying that house with cash when you can buy it for 20 grand and lever your returns? So I, I have a finance degree when you actually bust this out on a cash on cash return basis would you rather make 200 bucks a month, you know, with 20 grand out of pocket or would you rather put down, you know, $80,000 and make 200 bucks a month after, while you still have a mortgage? It doesn't make sense. So you're yeah. getting the same bang for your buck with less money out of pocket. And as long as you have, you know, tenants in there and you've done all the uh, cautious things, you're not just, t- you're not buying five of these things with a hundred right. grand, you're buying one with 20. Um, as long as you have those boxes checked, I mean, I absolutely agree with that. I'm, I'm sure you've read the Rich Dad, Poor Dad series, a type of income that Robert Kiyosaki talks about that the ultra rich tap into is called phantom income, income you can't actually see. And a scenario is if an average individual was putting $20,000 down on a property, they actually had to make $35,000 
in order to have that $20,000 in cash <laughs> to put it down to the property because of taxes. That's true. And it's something you can't, you can't avoid, but it, it, you have to get a good CPA and you know, there's so many different caveats to that. Whereas the ultra rich, they leverage other people's money. Debt is not taxed. It's not real money. It's money that is, I don't even know how to, it's, it hurts my head thinking about it, but you're using $20,000 of just debt that's not taxed and then you just pay that off with the cash flow. So Correct. I think it's a hard concept for people to think about, but phantom income is what makes the ultra rich rich. And especially if you're refinancing a property and you're pulling the money out, that money is not taxed. So it's not like you're taking a loan out. You're just pulling money out of the property. So you're not paying taxes on that. Say you want to pull out 20% equity on your paid off $100,000 home. You get 20 grand in your checking account. Boom. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, obviously there's like interest and stuff like that. If you're taking a HELOC, like a home equity line of credit, right. um, but that money is not taxed. Now, if you and I made 20 grand at a job, we're not seeing 20 grand, dude. We're seeing probably 67% of that 20 grand after right. it's paid for. Yeah. Taxes are probably the biggest expense anyone's ever going to have. But the crazy thing about it is they don't even know. That's right. And also inflation too. People yeah. never talk about inflation. Inflation is a, it's a stealth tax that people don't talk about. So everyone, like the market's going crazy right now. Mm. Federal Reserve is printing billions of dollars. Asset bubble, asset prices are through the roof. Housing is crazy. Uh, stock market is crazy. But people don't realize inflation uh, is also a tax. So say, for example, you're working a $50,000 job, you get a 2% raise. You know, you look at the end of the year, yes, I'm making 2% more. Well, you're what the hell? In line. Yeah, you're keeping in line with inflation. But what if inflation that year was higher because of all the money printing? Well, now an Apple, instead of costing you know, uh, 2% inflation, it's the Apple cost 10% more, even though your paycheck was only 2% more, right? So you're actually losing money to inflation. Your, your money is worth less at that point. It's worth less and your purchasing power goes down. Exactly. Yeah. I think there's a lot to this and I feel like we could talk for hours on it, but <laughs> we can go ahead and start wrapping up. I did want to ask yeah. this question though, because I'm sure a lot of my audience would be curious that video you had that went viral, 7 million views. How much money did you actually make from that? Yeah, good question. So I have a video um, talking about it when it had, I think, 5 million views. And at that point, I think it was like 40 something grand, if I remember correctly. Wow. Um, at this point, it's probably closer to 70, like 75 right around there. Uh, and the thing that I always teach, uh, especially in that video, I talk about it, uh, is basically when you put in the work, I put in probably five, six hours to make that video. That video's made me 70 something thousand dollars, okay? If you divide 70 something thousand divided by five, you can do the math, okay? That's like $13,000 an hour or something yeah. like that, or probably more. <laughs> um, so my point is, is that once you create uh, content or once you invest in a real estate property or once you invest in something that's paying you without having to work, that's how you start building wealth and that's how you can reach uh, financial independence. It's not having to work while incurring or uh, receiving an income. Right. The power of passive income. And I think right. we talked about it before. That is the key to financial freedom. And unless you have passive income, I don't believe anyone can actually attain it. hundred percent. Yeah. I think if you're just stuck to a desk from, you know, eight to five, you know, 50 weeks a year, investing in your 401k, you'll be middle-class and there's nothing wrong with middle-class. I grew up middle-class, but you'll never, you'll never have a level of wealth and you'll probably won't have the freedom that you desire, especially later in life. And, and I do think too, which we're going to get down to rabbit hole, so I'll cut it there. But financial freedom 
is not attractive unless you have the time and location freedom too. And you get that through passive income. That's right. Yeah. Uh, my biggest lifestyle change, instead of working at a bank from eight to five mm-hmm. um, in the corporate office, um, now I dictate my own schedule. So you have to be disciplined, but you also have a lot of freedom. Don't get me wrong. I'm still working for sure, right. you know, 30, 40 hours a week, but it's a, it's a spread out 30, 40 hours a week. Like right now I'm on a podcast with you. It's almost 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You know, like I didn't work at the bank till late, but I also went and got my hair cut. I went to the gym, you know, I did uh, grocery yep. shopping. It's just different. So I think once you have that freedom of uh, location, especially with the internet, that's why I think YouTube is one of the best business models that exists right now and podcasts and anything internet related. Um, that's when you can really start to make some money because you don't, you don't necessarily have to be tied down to living in a high cost of living area. You can live in Eastern Europe, you can live in Thailand, you can live in Asia, you can live, you know, wherever for five, six, seven hundred bucks a month and you're eating like a king and living well just because you have an internet connection. You know what I mean? Exactly. I 100% agree with that, man. So let's go ahead and start wrapping up. Uh, This is kind of a cliche question in the whole podcast episode, but say someone comes to you and has never heard about personal finance before. They don't know how to manage money. They don't know what it means to be financial literate. What is your first piece of actionable advice for them? Uh, go to YouTube and type in whiteboard finance. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Soft plug in there. No, no, I'm just playing. Hard plug. Nice and hard. Aggressive plug. <laughs> there you go. No, there I'm, you I'm go. just playing. I was trying to give you the benefit uh, of the doubt there. <laughs> <laughs> no, all joking aside, uh, I, I started with these books and it's always these books that I recommend. I have a video on it. Uh, the seven books that changed my life or financial books that changed my life. It's The Millionaire Next Door. It's The Richest Man in Babylon. Uh, it's, uh, Dave Ram or excuse me, Dave Ramsey's part of it. That's for mm. more basic stuff, but also rich dad, poor dad. I always, I always point to those four books just because that's literally all you need, man. Like you just got to pay yourself one tenth of what you make. You got to save your money. You know, assets are better than liabilities and that's really it, man. It's not complicated. It's just hard to do. Exactly. I think it's, it's really, uh, when people tell you about it, it makes sense, but I think it's trusting in yourself to actually do it. And I think action there, you know, actionable advice, read the books, do what they're saying to do. And then there you go. I mean, that's passive income, financial freedom. So, but Mark, I appreciate your time, man. Where can my audience find you on social media and your YouTube channel? Yeah, my pleasure, Brady. Thanks for having me. Um, My YouTube channel is just called Marco Whiteboard Finance. You can just type in Whiteboard Finance. You'll find it. Instagram is Whiteboard Finance. Twitter is Whiteboard Fin, F-I-N. Awesome. Reach out to Marco. Let him know what you thought of the episode. And Marco, appreciate your time, man. Thank you so much, Brady. Appreciate it, buddy. Thanks for listening. I post episodes every Monday and Thursday at 6 a.m. Central Time, and they're available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or any other major podcasting platform. Check out our social media linked in the description and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'll catch you next time.